everyone and welcome to the latest edition of Marketing Week's This Much I Learn podcast. I'm Charlotte Rogers, Associate Editor at Marketing Week, and today I'm joined by Greg Hoffman, the former CMO of Nike. Greg joined Nike as a design intern in 1992, aged just 22. The youngest member of the design team, Hoffman rose quickly through the ranks, becoming Creative Director and Vice President of Global Brand Experience. Promoted to CMO in 2016, Hoffman assumed oversight of all global marketing, working on campaigns such as Unlimited You for the Rio Olympics and 2018's Dream Crazy. He retired from Nike after two decades in 2020, stepping away from his role as Vice President of Global Brand Innovation, where he led on the positioning and branding for product innovation. Two years on from leaving the sportswear giant, Hoffman's new book, Emotion by Design, outlines his philosophy, the cornerstone of which is that marketers should invest in how their brand makes consumers feel about themselves, rather than focusing on how consumers feel about their brand. Welcome, Greg. Thank you, Charlotte. It's a pleasure to be here uh, from Portland, Oregon, all the way on the west coast of America. Oh, I'm very jealous. It's raining here in the UK today. Um, well, I mean, I feel like there's so much for us to discuss, and I kind of want to take you back to the start, um, where you, age 22, embarking on this design internship at Nike. And I'm right in thinking that kind of up until then, you hadn't really considered a career in marketing and branding. Why was that, and what was it about Nike that changed your mind? Yes, well, little did I know, I mean, I had a growing emotional attachment to the brand that really started when I was 14 and I got my first pair of Nikes, uh, a pair of used Air Force One highs that uh, when I put those on my feet, um, I certainly believed I could fly. And then subsequently over the years of my teenage years, I started to see all this incredible advertising and storytelling uh, on television, which clearly was stirring the emotions in myself and creating the belief that I too could you know, just do it. And, but I didn't have a concept of branding and marketing per se. And as I was pursuing a, a career in design as a design student at the Col- Minneapolis College of Art and Design, you know, I was very much uh, obsessed with, you know, the visual look and aesthetics of brand identity and visual communication. And I really hadn't gotten to that point where I was asking the type of questions of my work in terms of, you know, how did I want people to feel um, about what they were seeing or feeling or hearing? And in turn, what kind of, uh, what would that do in terms of empowering them or building their confidence to achieve great things? And it wasn't until I showed up at Nike where I was surrounded by a design team that, you know, was talking a lot about not just design, but telling stories through design, creating experiences through design. And, you know, if you think about it, um, the swoosh is not just, you know, one of the most famous brand marks in the world. It's a symbol of human potential. And that's what happens when, you know, design transcends and, you know, essentially becomes something that you know, lives within the fabric of society, just like just do it, just do it isn't just a slogan. It's it's certainly a call to action that many people have adopted millions of people uh, over the years as a state of mind and a way of life. And so that's what I started to realize. And that's what I started to understand what it meant to be a brand steward first and a consumer advocate 
and a designer second. So that that's that was kind of the spark. It's so interesting to hear that kind of origin of your relationship with Nike and also how you kind of evolved as a designer and into a marketer when you, when you kind of got there. And you say in your new book, Emotion by Design, that often Nike's boldest campaigns originated from the lowest marketing budgets and most restricted timelines, and which is so interesting, actually. How can restrictions work in a marketer's favor in terms of generating radical ideas? Yes, I think it's a great question. And um, what I love about this this idea of you know very you know little to no budget and and no time is you don't have an opportunity to overthink it there is no time for bureaucracy to creep into the process and as long as you have a culture within your small or large business where you have a team that's allowed to daydream and imagine the future then they will have the confidence within those pressure situations to deliver resourceful ideas. An example of that is in 2005, when uh, the famous Ronaldinho crossbar Nike film was released on this young social media platform called YouTube. You know, YouTube hadn't become what it is today at that time. This film, this low budget film was shot with a handheld camera and it just showed Ronaldinho kicking the ball from midfield and hitting the crossbar and the ball would bounce back and without touching the ground, he'd kick it again and it would hit the crossbar. And that was the first film to hit, the first brand film to hit a million views on YouTube. And it's just one example of many of what happens when a team stops asking the question, you know, lamenting the fact that there isn't a big, big budget and just says, you know what, we're going to do this in a lo-fi, raw and real way. And I do think today in this arena of, of creators, young and old across lots of social media platforms is that's, that is a, a behavior and a trait that you see show up on a daily basis. That how true that is actually, and I think yeah, in that sense, you know, Knight was ahead of the game because that is what people are kind of gravitating towards now, isn't it? Um, with platforms like TikTok and and things like that. Well, isn't it interesting? If I could just add to that, that you could take the biggest sport moment in the world and a multi million dollar uh, commercial by a big brand could get out viewed by just a, an individual who happened to create a TikTok video and has, you know, significantly more views. And that's just the world that we live in. And it's not about budget. It's what's the story? What do you, what's the insight that you're trying to convey and reveal to the world in an interesting and distinctive way? hundred percent. And I suppose that, that takes me to my next question, because that's what you, I suppose, drilled into your team at Nike in terms of the fact they generated some of the most iconic marketing campaigns of the past three decades. And I wonder whether there were certain hallmarks that you looked for to measure the success of a campaign or a piece of creative. Were there things that you wanted to see where you thought, yeah, that landed well? Well, absolutely. I think philosophically, we were always asking the question, you know, when we're creating a piece of communication or, or a story, was it clear on what the invitation was? What were we inviting people to be a part of when we were communicating and engaging them? And were we starting or fueling a movement of human potential? You know, our, our aim and mission was to ensure that every athlete, whether it's you and I or the elite athletes, 
you see around the world competing in the Olympics or the Premier League or the World Cup. The question is, is were we empowering you to be better than you were yesterday in terms of your your capacity as an athlete? And so the other questions we asked is when, you know, we were always trying to broaden the definition of sport to invite more people into it and also what it meant to be an athlete, because oftentimes the traditional definition is quite exclusive, right? And so always asking the question, how can we be a more inclusive brand? And that's what Just Do It represents. And I think a great example of that is the the iconic Find Your Greatness campaign that launched during the London Olympics in 2012. This was a campaign that clearly stated that greatness isn't a birthright. It's not for the chosen few who are born with it. We all have it within us. And the way we revealed that to the world is we showed that there's 29 different towns around the world named London, not just London, England, but London, India, London, Nairobi. And in those locations, there's so many people just like you and I participating in sport and their version of Olympics. So those are kind of the hallmarks uh, philosophically that we would measure the success of our campaign. Were we reaching, you know, underserved communities and individuals and athletes that didn't feel like they had that invitation, right? And breaking those barriers down. It's so interesting to hear that and kind of that sense of democratizing access to, yeah, to sport and to kind of make it something that everyone can be part of. I suppose that mantra kind of really plays into, you know, what many people describe as an absolute game changer. 2018's tie it with Colin Kaepernick, the Just Do It campaign, Dream Crazy. While there was a backlash from some factions, the campaign was a huge commercial and cultural hit. How did you approach that project from the inception, the idea, to the campaign landing globally and then that reception that followed? Sure. Well, it's important to first note that there is a a legacy of storytelling and communication by Nike of standing up and fighting against racial injustice. Uh, You go back to the Stand Up, Speak Up campaign in the mid-2000s, right, when there was a growing uh, amount of racism within the game of global football, right? And we worked with players like Thierry Henry uh, to use our platform and amplify the voice of the players to fight back against the racism that was occurring, you know, on the field of play and around it. And then you had in 2017, the Nike equality campaign with athletes like Serena Williams and LeBron James. And again, really making sure that we got that, you know, mantra out there of the ball should bounce the same for everyone. And if, athletes are equal on the field of play, why aren't they equal when they walk off the court or the track or the field? So I just I just put that out there that there was a equity built in this, this fight for racial justice. And so it was hard to comprehend, you know, in late summer of 2017, that Colin did not have a team to play for because he was still one of the premier QBs in the world. And he was only a year, less than a year removed from when he took a knee uh, to protest police brutality and racial injustice during the national anthem. And so we saw his deep conviction for his cause and um, we were aligned with that. You have to understand from a personal standpoint, when I was in the room 
sitting next to Colin during a lunch to kick off this, this process. As I looked through the lens uh, as a CMO, um, I saw a similar lived-in experience to our early lives because like Colin, um, I'm biracial and I'm also half black, half white. And like Colin, uh, I was also adopted by my white parents and grew up in a predominantly white uh, school district and, and, and suburb. So you have lived-in experiences that shape the way you, you're going to approach the work in the future. And it's going to shape your ability to be empathetic to others uh, around you, certainly people that felt like outsiders. And so I express that uh, to you and your listeners because I was able to be a part of a business culture where I was able to bring that experience and perspective into the room. And so those of us around the table being in that environment left that day with the not just the opportunity, but the responsibility to ensure that we used our platform and our position uh, to create a story in a profound way that would reach people. And it goes back to what I talked about earlier is, um, can you communicate in a way that not only inspires people, but inspires action that makes people feel that they're part of something greater than themselves? and that collectively we can shape the world for the better. And I think that's what the Colin Kaepernick uh, Dream Crazy campaign did, right? It was an invitation to be part of something that, you know, quite frankly, was a huge game changer. And we know now that we need to continue to do that as a society on a multitude of pressing issues within our time. Definitely. And to kind of hear your personal story then and how you related to Colin and also the authenticity in that, you know, the fact that, that you, you know, completely understood his position is, is just lends weight to what you were doing from a brand perspective. And I think that plays into my next question, which was your belief that sort of visionary ideas can come obviously from individuals, but are driven by a culture of innovation. I think that's really interesting because I wondered how you're able to foster that kind of culture, how you were able to do that at Nike and then lead that globally. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, right? And um, it's how, how do you build a, a culture of imagination and risk-taking, which are so crucial to innovation? And I would say that early on, not only was it instilled in us, but there was three key characteristics that fueled our culture of innovation. You know, the first, of course, is, is empathy, that idea of digging deep and finding the needs or the insight or truth within the subject, right? Or your audience. And um, you can't satisfy a need or solve a problem until you have a deep understanding of it. And if you're telling a story, um, the story, the, the end result that you put out into the world is only going to be as strong as your ability to get beyond the observations and assumptions and actually peel back the layers and get to a profound truth that you're going to reveal to the world. And that's that idea of empathy as it relates to the creative process. And along with that is a culture of curiosity. I call this, you know, making sure that you're getting outside yourself and that you're looking for inspiration all the time in the world around you 
and bringing it back into your world. Perfect example of that is, you know, probably the greatest Nike innovation, which was Nike Air. And that actually came from, you know, space innovations and space exploration in NASA and the innovations for creating astronaut helmets and the fact that Nike was open to hearing from an individual who brought those ideas to the company and ultimately led to Nike creating, uh, you know, these Nike Air uh, cushioning system for running shoes. And that revolutionized, you know, the, the footwear industry. And then finally, this idea of creating a culture of, of fearlessness and making sure that, you know, there is space to, to dream and imagine and that you're allowed to fail. I think that's really important too, that failure is what leads to success. And versus if you're not able to experiment and try and prototype things and put them out into the world, and if you're fearful that you're not going to succeed, it's really hard to create um, those game-changing breakthrough innovations. I always, you know, the good news with, with Nike is we always had uh, examples within the world of sports that we could use as metaphors in terms of creating a stronger culture of ideas and imagination internally. There's my favorite campaign of all time, commercial of all time, not one that I was a part of, is the Michael Jordan failure uh, commercial. You know, you're talking about the, you know, arguably the greatest sportsman of all time. And within this commercial, he says, I've missed 9,000 shots. I've lost 300 games. And 26 times I've been asked to take the game-winning shot, but I've missed. But it's because I've failed again and again. That's why I succeed. And so my point is, is you need to create a culture within your team or your business, whether it's a small or large business, where people um, stand up and put the, themselves in the positions to take those shots, even if they miss, because down the road, even the misses can lead to amazing opportunities uh, and innovation down the road. I really want to ask you about design. And one of the things you talk about in the book is that a logo can be the foundation stone for a brand's like entire sense of purpose. But I wonder whether you get the sense that many organizations kind of still fail to fully understand the potential that their logo represents and the sort of wider importance of visual identity. Yeah, great question, right? Because branding is, a, is absolutely an art and science, right? And on the art side, you know, you need to create this strong visual identity and the best brands uh, commit to that. And their entire culture within the company understands the importance of holding the smallest details to the highest standard, right? And I always talk about this idea of starting with your logo. If you commit to getting it right in the beginning, it will absolutely be able to carry the weight of the lifelong aspirations of your brand and those that you serve because it's going to have the shoulders to carry that weight. The other thing I talk about is this, this idea of, you know, your brand identity is your picture frame. And when I say brand identity, your logo, the typeface that you use to communicate with, your brand color. So your brand identity is your picture frame. And the stronger your frame is, the brighter the picture within it will shine, right? And so 
it's really important to understand that early on in the infancy of a brand, right? Because every output from your brand, products and stories and experiences are going to be sitting within this picture frame or on this visual foundation. And so understand that your logo is your signature. It's the stamp of approval. Um, it's the punctuation of your message. So you need to ensure that great care and nuance has been taken so that it shows up, you know, it, and represents um, the best version of who you are as a brand. And so one example I'll just say in terms of creating a culture of, of respect for the craft of brand identity is, you know, way back in the early 2000s, I created with the team uh, a swoosh brand book, restated why this particular brand mark was so important to who we were as a brand and that we needed to protect and respect it. And the, the reason I share this is this little silver book of, of brand standards didn't just go to the design and marketing teams. It went to every single employee at Nike. And you can imagine how many thousands of employees um, there were there. And the point wasn't just to give this swoosh Bible to all the people that were responsible for applying it out in the world. It was more to instill a culture of brand identity excellence and a respect for the details, even the smallest details. Because every time you show up as a brand, every interaction you have with your audience, no matter how small or large, is an opportunity to reveal something about yourself as a brand. And so all those moments and interactions add up to create the image and impression of your brand, and it needs to be respected. I just love hearing about your kind of take on, on, on sort of brand identity excellence and, and this commitment to the detail, which I don't know if this is something that plays into my final question, but I really wanted to get a sense of, of any tips that you have for, and probably people starting out, aspiring marketers or creatives that are kind of kicking off their career today. Are there things that you've learned along the way that you wish you'd known then that you could, you know, tell people now? Well, a couple paths come to mind in terms of some of the, the areas that I, I believe kind of the future of creative leadership within marketing or design needs to, to make sure that they're focusing on. And, you know, of course, one is you really need to have digital fluency today. You really need to have a broad understanding of where the consumer is living in terms of how they prefer to engage with brands and each other. I mean, I can't state how important that is. And it's ever changing on a daily basis. There's you know, some new uh, platform or capability that is available that is more convenient and has less uh, friction for the consumer to, to engage the way they want. And so today we're in this moment where the message and the medium in terms of creating the message and figuring out which medium you want to use, this needs to be considered simultaneously. There are no handoffs anymore. There are no silos or departments where um, an advertising team is going to create a story and then they're going to um, send it over to a media team. Um, you know, we're in a moment where you're creating stories in real time. And I think that's really important. 
And maybe the second thing I'd like to say there is that rather than referring to this as content, I do prefer the word story, your brand story. And I think the word content gets thrown out, thrown around quite a bit. And what can happen is people stop respecting what the content actually is and what its role is. It's to tell a story and engage your audience on an emotional level, even if only for a second, even if it's somewhat disposable. And then maybe the other thing I would say is that remember that the consumer ultimately decides and you need to meet them where they are, not where you want them to be, right? That gets back to, you know, understanding their world in the most deep way. Maybe one final thought, and it does relate to what we talked about in terms of the Colin Kaepernick campaign, is I do feel we're in a moment of time where marketers, designers, and brands um, can play a greater role uh, in terms of, of impacting the world in a positive way. And that we're in a moment of time where your solutions not only have to drive significant business growth and brand strength, but they can also integrate ideas and concepts that will have a profound social impact on the world. And that is uh, the moment in time we are in. And it's really exciting to me to see a new force of young creative professionals that do have a deep conviction about addressing some of the most pressing issues of our time. And I think, you know, brands can play a role in that, provided that they do it in a very authentic way that connects what they sell to what the world needs at a particular given moment. Oh, Craig, thank you so much. It's been so interesting hearing you kind of talk about your career and all your insights. And I, I just love what you were saying about how we should focus on stories rather than content. That really resonated with me and, and just finding a place in culture and kind of how brands have permission to do that if they're authentic. I think it's just been fascinating. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this latest edition of Marketing Week's This Much I Learn podcast and check out the next episode coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. That just leaves me to thank Greg and you for listening. Thanks.